0: Chapter 4 of the memoirs of Chateaubriand 1768 to 1800 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by nicole lee memoirs of chateaubriand 1768 to 1800 by françois rené de chateaubriand chapter 4 my maternal grandmother and her sister their mode of life at plancouet my uncle count de bedet at montchoir my nurse's asvel when nearly seven years of age i was taken by my mother to plancouet to be released from my nurse's vow well. we went to the house of my grandmother and if ever i knew happiness it was certainly during the time i remained under her roof my grandmother resided in the village of la Bay, in a house with an adjoining garden this garden descended in terraces to a little dell in the depth of which there was a fountain surrounded by willows madame de bedet was no longer able to walk but with that exception she suffered none of the infirmities of age she was an agreeable old lady fat fair and comely her air was dignified and her manners were elegant her dresses were made in a very old-fashioned style and she wore a black lace cap tied under the chin her mind was cultivated and her conversation and manners were marked by gravity her sister madame de Boiteux, resided with her this lady resembled my grandmother in nothing but in goodness she was small and thin lively and talkative with a turn for raillery she had once been attached to a certain count de whom she had promised to marry but she did not fulfil her promise my aunt was a poetess and she used to amuse herself by indicting verses to the memory of her youthful love i well recollect her as she sat spectacles on nose embroidering a pair of double ruffles for her sister and whilst plying the busy needle she would partly hum partly sing a quaint ditty commencing thus un épevier aimait une fauvette et ce ditant et était aimé. This attachment on the linnet's part always, I must confess, appeared to me somewhat strange. The burden of each verse was, Ah, chemigant, la fable est obscure Turellure, how many things in this world end like my aunt's love in Turellure. My grandmother consigned to her sister the superintendence of the household. She dined at the primitive hour of eleven in the forenoon, and after dinner she took a siesta. She rose again at one o'clock, when she was carried out to the lower terrace of the garden, where, beneath the shade of the billows overhanging the fountain she used to sit and knit attended by her sister her children and her grandchildren in those days old age was a dignity in these times it is a burden at four in the afternoon my grandmother was carried into her drawing-room where the servant pierre used to set out a card-table this being done mademoiselle de Boiteux would take the fire-tongs and tap against the back of the chimney and in a few minutes after this summons there entered three old maiden ladies who resided in the next house These were three sisters, the Demoiselles villes daughters of a poor nobleman of the olden time. Instead of parceling out their scanty inheritance into shares, they preferred keeping it undivided and enjoying it in common with each other. They had always lived together, and had never resided out of their paternal village. They had known my grandmother from their childhood, they lived next door to her, and they regularly came every day when my aunt gave her signal with the fire-tongs to play a game at Quadrille with their aged friend the game being commenced the good ladies would sometimes quarrel over it these little card-table disputes were the only stirring events of their lives the only circumstances which disturbed their equanimity of temper at eight o'clock the announcement of supper never failed to restore serenity my uncle de Bede, with his son and three daughters frequently came to sup with my grandmother on these occasions the old lady would relate some stories of her youth and my uncle would describe the battle of fontenoy in which he had been engaged then having recounted his own deeds of valour he would tell some humorous anecdotes which made the good ladies almost die of laughter at nine o'clock supper being ended the servants were summoned and whilst all knelt devoutly mademoiselle de boiteille repeated the evening prayer at ten o'clock the whole household was asleep with the exception of my grandmother whose femme de chambre used to read to her till one in the morning this was the first social circle which i had had the opportunity of seeing and knowing and it was also the first that was swept away under my observance i saw death enter that abode of peace and happiness successively diminishing its inmates first one chamber then another being closed never again to be opened i saw my good grandmother renounce her game at quadrille for want of her usual partners i saw the number of her faithful friends gradually diminish until she herself descended into the grave she and her sister had mutually promised that the one who died first should speedily summon the other to follow this promise was kept and madame de bedet survived mademoiselle de boiteau only a few months i am now perhaps the only person in the world who knows that all these beings once existed how many times in the course of my life have i witnessed the recurrence of similar circumstances how frequently have i seen a circle of friends formed and dissolved around me the impossibility of prolonging the duration of human attachments the profound oblivion which follows us the unbroken silence that reigns over the grave seem unceasingly to impress on the mind the necessity of retirement any hand will serve to present a glass of water to cool the parched lip in the fever of death it is well when that hand is not too dear to us when it is not the hand we have covered with kisses and which we could wish to press eternally to our heart the chateau of the count de Bede, which was about a league from planquay stood on an elevated and pleasant site. My uncle's gaiety of spirit was inexhaustible, and its joyous influence was shared by all around him. He had three daughters, Caroline, Marie, and Flore, and one son, the Count de la Beuertardet, Parliament councillor, who inherited his father's cheerful temper. The chateau of Montchois was always filled with visitors, chiefly consisting of the youthful cousins of the family. The young people amused themselves with music, dancing, and hunting, and there was a perpetual round of diversion from morning to night the countess de bedet seeing my uncle thus dissipating his fortune manifested some reasonable degree of uneasiness but her remonstrances were not heeded indeed her displeasure served only as a subject of raillery to the other members of the family for the fact was my aunt had her own tastes and she loved to indulge them these tastes were somewhat whimsical for example she kept an ill-tempered growling dog which she nursed and fondled and she had a wild boar which she was endeavouring to tame and whose grunting was heard from one end of the chateau to the other When i came from my father's house which was so dull and silent to this scene of gaiety and animation i could almost have fancied myself in paradise the contrast became the more striking when the residence of my family was permanently fixed in the country to go from combourg to montchois was like going from a desert into the inhabited world or from the castle of a baron of the middle ages to the villa of a roman prince on ascension day in the year 1775 i left my grandmother's house accompanied by my mother my aunt de Boiteux, my uncle de Bédé, and his children, my nurse, and my brother. We proceeded to the church of Notre-Dame de Nazareth. I wore a white garment, which in those days was called a Levite. My shoes, my gloves, and my hat were likewise white, and round my waist was tied a sash or scarf of blue silk. It was about ten o'clock in the morning when we reached the Abbe. The convent stood near the roadside and was shaded by a quincunx of elm-trees planted in the time of John V of Brittany this quincunx led to the cemetery the christian reached the church only after having crossed the region of the sepulchre in like manner through death we enter into the presence of god the monks had already ranged themselves in the stalls the altar was illuminated by a multitude of tapers and lamps were suspended from the vaulted roof there is something in the effect of old gothic arches which resembles distant and successive horizons the mace-bearers came to the door to receive me with ceremony and they conducted me to the choir where three seats were placed the middle one was assigned to me my nurse seated herself at my left and my foster-brother at my right the mass commenced during the offertory the officiating priest turned to me and read the prayers at their conclusion i was divested of my white garments which were hung as an ex-photo under an image of the virgin after this i was arrayed in a violet-coloured dress the prior delivered an oration on the efficacy of vows touching on the history of the baron de chateaubriand who went to the holy land with saint louis he observed that possibly it might be my lot to visit in palestine the virgin of nazareth to whom i owed life through the intercession of the prayers of the poor ever acceptable to the ear of god this priest recapitulated the whole history of my family as dante's grandfather recounted to him the history of his ancestors and he might even have predicted my exile in the words of Cacciaguida: guida tu proverai si come sa disane, il pane altrui e come è duro cale lo scendere e il salir per l'altrui scale e quel che più ti graverà le spalle sarà la compagnia malvagia e scempia con la qual tu cadrai in questa valle che tutta ingrata tutta matta ed empia si farà contra te. di sua bestialitate il suo processo sarà la prova siccate sia bello Averti fatta parte persistesso. After hearing the exhortation of the priest, my thoughts constantly turned on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and at length I performed it. I was consecrated to religion. On her altar was deposited the guard of my innocence, but instead of my garments, my miseries may now be hung up in her temples. I returned to Saint Malo. Saint Malo is not the aletum of the Notitia Imperii. Aletum was more advantageously placed by the Romans in the suburb Saint-Servant, at the military port called Solidor, at the mouth of the Rams. Immediately opposite Olatum was a rock, est in to Tenedos, not the refuge of the perfidious Greeks, but the retreat of Aaron the Hermit, who took up his dwelling in this island, in the year 507, the date of the victory of Clovis over Alaric. Aaron founded a small convent, Clovis a mighty monarchy. Both alike have fallen. Malo in Latin Maclovius, Macutus, Macutes, became bishop of Alatum in five hundred and forty one he had been attracted thither by the fame of aaron and visited him in his island home he became chaplain of the oratory of the hermit and after the death of the saint erected a cenobial church in praedio machutis his name was soon after given to the whole island and subsequently to the city which was called maclovium and maclopolis a series of forty-five bishops is reckoned from st mano the first bishop of Alatum, to john the happy surnamed de la Grille was canonized in eleven forty a latum being at that time almost entirely abandoned john de la grille transferred the episcopal see of the roman city to the Breton city which was beginning to flourish on the rock of st malo suffered severely in the wars which took place between the kings of france and england the earl of richmond afterwards henry the seventh of england in whom terminated the strife between the white and red roses was carried prisoner to st malo the duc de bretagne delivered him up to the ambassadors of richard who conveyed him to london with the intention of putting him to death but he succeeded in escaping from his guards and took refuge in the cathedral as quod in et urbe est inviolatissimum this right of sanctuary had its origin with the druids the first priests of the isle of Arran. a bishop of st Malo was one of the three favourites the other two being Arthur de montaubin and jean Angot, who ruined the unfortunate gilles de bretagne this may be seen in l'histoire lamentable de gilles seigneur de chateaubriand et de chantosset prince du sang de france et de bretagne étranglé en prison par les ministres du favori le 24 avril, 1505 ans. the capitulation between henry the fourth and saint malo was worthy of both the city treated as a power within a power protected those who had taken refuge within its walls and retained the liberty accorded to it by an ordinance of philibert de la guiche grand master of the artillery of france to cast a hundred pieces of cannon no place more closely resembled venice its climate and its fine arts excepted than the small republic of st malo in its religion wealth and naval exploits it aided the expedition of charles v in africa and succored louis the thirteenth before la rochelle its flag proudly traversed every sea maintaining relations with mocha surat and pondicherry and a company formed in the bosom of st malo explored the southern ocean from the time of henry the fourth my native city has been distinguished by its devotion and fealty to france it was bombarded by the english in sixteen ninety three and on the twenty ninth of november that year they threw into it an infernal machine amid the ruins caused by which i have often played with my companions they again bombarded it in seventeen fifty eight the malouise lent considerable sums of money to louis the fourteenth during the war of seventeen o one and in gratitude for this service he confirmed to them the privilege of fortifying themselves. He even commanded that the crew of the first vessel of the Royal Marine should be composed exclusively of sailors from Saint-Malo and its territory. In 1771, the Maloese made fresh sacrifices and lent Louis the Fifteenth 30 millions. The celebrated Admiral Anson landed at Concal in 1758 and burned saint Servin. In the chateau of Saint-Malo, la chalotte wrote upon linen, with a toothpick dipped in water and soot those memoirs which then produced such an immense sensation and which none remember now events efface events inscriptions graven over other inscriptions form the pages of the history of palimpsests st malo furnished the best sailors for our navy the general roll may be seen in the folio volume entitled role general des officiers Mariniers in matelot de st malo published in sixteen eighty two there is also a coutume de st malo printed in the recueil du coutumier the archives of the city are rich in charters which are useful to the historian and to maritime. saint malo is the place of jacques cartier the christopher columbus of france who discovered canada the maloies obtained fresh renown at the other extremity of america in the islands which bear their name saint malo is the native city of gigui one of the greatest naval men that ever appeared and in our days it has given to france the celebrated surcouf the renowned mahe de la Bourdonnais, governor of the mauritius was born at saint malo as were also la maitrie maupetui and the abbé Troublé, whom voltaire made an object of his wit this is by no means an insignificant list for a place not equal in extent to the garden of the tuileries the abbé de Lamennais has left far behind him these lesser literary stars of my country brousset likewise was born at saint malo as well as my noble friend the count de la In order you know, to make any omission i must call to mind those celebrated bull-dogs which constituted the garrison of saint malo they were descendants of those famous dogs reared in the regiments of the Gauls, and who, according to Strabo, stood up in battle array with their masters against the Romans. Albert Le Grand, a monk of the order of St. Dominic, an author as grave as the Greek geographer declares, that at St. Malo the guardianship of a place so important was committed every night to the fidelity of certain bulldogs, who formed an admirable and safe patrol. They were at last condemned to capital punishment for having had the misfortune of inconsiderately eating the legs of a gentleman. This has given rise in our days to the song bon voyage where the whole is turned into ridicule the criminals are imprisoned one of them refuses to take the nourishment presented by the hand of his disconsolate guardian the noble animal starves himself to death the dogs are punished like men for their fidelity moreover the capital was like my delos guarded by dogs who never barked when scipio africanus came to offer his prayers at dawn of day st malo is enclosed by walls of divers eras which are divided into large and small with a promenade running along the top the city is further defended by the chateau of which i have spoken and which was enlarged with towers bastions and trenches by the duchess anne seen from without this insulated city resembles a citadel of granite it is upon the shore of the widespread sea between the chateau and fort royal that the children assemble to play and here it is that i was educated the companion of the winds and waves one of the first pleasures which i enjoyed was to combat with the storms and to sport with the surges which retired before me or pursued me on the beach another amusement was to build little structures with the sands of the shore which my companions called ovens since that time i have often seen castles built for eternity crumble more rapidly than my palaces of sand my lot being irrevocably fixed i was left to pass my infancy in idleness some notions of drawing of the english language hydrography and mathematics appeared more than sufficient for the education of a young boy destined beforehand to the rude life of a mariner i grew up in my family without study we no longer inhabited the house where i was born my mother occupied an hotel in the place saint vincent nearly opposite the gate which led to sillon the young Polissons of the city were my dearest friends and the court and stairs of our house were always crowded with them i resembled them in everything spoke their language assumed their manner and gait was dressed like them and my clothes like theirs were open and unbuttoned and my shirt in tatters my stockings were always full of holes my shoes slip shod and down at heel and my feet coming out at every step i constantly lost my cap and often my jacket my face was besmeared scratched and bruised and my hands were black and grubby my appearance was altogether so strange that my mother in the heat of her anger could not often help laughing and crying out how ugly he is notwithstanding all this i loved and never have loved cleanliness nay even elegance at night i endeavoured to patch my tattered garments and good villeneuve and my lucile used to help me to repair my toilette in order to prevent my getting punished and scolded but their patchings only made my clothes look the more ridiculous i was often miserable especially when i appeared in my rags among children who were proud of their new clothes and fine appearance there was something foreign in the character of my country people which called to mind the spaniards maloese families were established at cadiz and cadiz families resided at saint-malo the insular position causeway architecture houses cisterns and granite walls of st malo gave it a resemblance to cadiz and when i visited that city i was often reminded of st malo the maloies locked up at night in their city by the same key constituted one family their manners were so simple that young women who sported the ribbons and gauzes of paris were looked upon as worldly-minded and shunned by their alarmed companions for any to go astray was an unheard-of event and accountess Daviville having been suspected a complaint ensued which the people sung to her while making the sign of the cross however the poet faithful in spite of himself to the traditions of the troubadours took part against the husband whom he called a monstre babard. on certain days of the year the inhabitants of the city and the country met together at fairs called assemblées which were held in the islands and on the forts around st malo they repaired thither on foot when the tide was low and in boats when it was high the multitude of sailors and peasants the carts with linen awnings the caravans of horses asses and mules the crowd of merchants the tents pitched on the beach the processions of monks and friars who meandered with their banners and their crosses in the midst of the crowd the boats coming to the shore either sailing or rowing the vessels entering the port or lying at anchor the salutes of artillery all contributed to infuse into these meetings bustle life and variety i was the only witness of these fates who shared not in their joy i appeared there without money in my pocket for purchasing either toys or cakes shunning the disdain which is attached to poverty i seated myself far from the crowd amid the surf which the sea forms in the hollows of the rocks there i amused myself in watching the flights of the penguins and seagulls in gazing on the far blue distance in picking up cockle shells and listening to the refrain of the waves among the rocks in the evening when at home i was scarcely more happy i had a repugnance to certain food which i was forced to eat and I was wont to cast my imploring eyes upon La France, who adroitly carried off my plate when my father turned his head another way. Another grievance was that I was never permitted to approach the fireplace, very different from my severe parents, to those who in these days spoil their children. But if I had sorrows which are unknown to the rising generation, I had also pleasures of which they are ignorant. We no longer know anything of those religious and family solemnities where the whole of the country seemed to rejoice with their God, christmas new year's day the epiphany easter whitsuntide and st john's day these were days of joy and happiness to me it may be that the influence of my native rock acted upon my feelings and pursuits from the year 1015 the Maloises had made a vow that they would go and assist in erecting with their own hands and by their own means the belfry of the cathedral of chartres have not i also thus laboured with my hands to rebuild the fallen spire of the ancient christian church the sun says father Monnoir has never shone upon a canton where there has appeared a more constant and invariable fidelity to the true faith than in Bretagne. For thirteen centuries no infidelity has stained the language which has served as the organ for preaching Jesus Christ, and he is yet to be born who shall hear in Bretagne the preaching of another religion than the Catholic in the language of Bretagne. During those fete days to which I have alluded, I was taken with my sisters to make a short stay at the different sanctuaries in the city, to the chapel of St. Aaron, to the convent de la Victoire, my ear was struck with the soft voices of females who were invisible the harmony of their songs mingled with the murmur of the waves in the winter at the christmas festival when the cathedral was filled by crowds the old sailors on their knees the young women and children reading in their missals, holding little lighted tapers in their hands the multitude at the moment of the blessing repeating in chorus the tantum ergo when during the interval of the chants the bleak wind beat against the windows of the church shaking the vaults of that nave where once the manly voices of jacques cartier and of gigi chouin had ascended i was overpowered by an extraordinary feeling of religion i had no need to be told by villeneuve to fold my hands and to call upon god by all the names which my mother had taught me i saw the heavens open and the angels offering our incense and our vows i bowed my head it was no longer depressed with that overwhelming weariness which almost tempts us never more to raise it after it has once been bowed at the foot of the altar One sailor, on quitting these pomps, embarks in his vessel fortified against every trial, while another, coming into port, directs his steps to the illuminated dome of the church. Thus religion and peril were continually present, and their images manifested themselves inseparably to my mind. Scarcely was I born when I heard of death. That evening a man with a bell in his hand walked from street to street, calling upon Christians to offer up their prayers for one of their deceased brethren almost every year vessels were lost in my very sight and as i played on the shore the sea dashed at my feet the dead bodies of men who had died far from their homes madame de chateaubriand said to me as the holy Monica said to her son Nihil est adeo, nothing is far from god my education had been confided to providence and it did not fail to furnish me with lessons dedicated to the virgin i knew and loved my protectress whom i confounded with my guardian angel uh, image which had cost my good villeneuve half a sou was attached with four pins to the head of my bed i ought to have lived in those days when they were wont to say to the virgin douce Dame du ciel et de la terre mère de pitié fontaine de tout bien qui portasse jésus christ en vos précieux flancs belle d'Ustam, douce je vous merci et vous prie the first thing which i learned by heart was a mariner's song commencing thus je mette ma confiance vierge, en votre secours servez moi de défense, soin de mes jours et quand ma derniere heure viendra fini mon sort que je meurs de la plus sainte mort i have since heard these lines sung during a shipwreck i repeat them to this very day with as much delight as i do the verses of homer a madonna encircled with a gothic crown veiled in a robe of blue silk with a silver fringe inspires me with more devotion than a virgin of raphael this peaceful star of the ocean might have calmed the troubles of my life but I was destined to be agitated even in my infancy, like the date-tree of the Arab. scarcely had the tender blade sprung out of the rock than it was beaten down by the winds. End of chapter Four.